Welcome to the Doxology and Theology Podcast, presented by the Institute for Biblical Worship at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. That's right, I said the Doxology and Theology Podcast, a podcast for worship leaders who know that the gospel is so good it has to be sung. I'm your host, Matthew Westerholm, Associate Professor of Church Music and Worship at Southern Seminary and the Executive Director of the Institute for Biblical Worship. On today's episode, we are dipping into our worship resources to bring you an interview with Dr. Gregory Beale. Dr. Beale is a professor of New Testament and Biblical Theology at RTS in Dallas. Dr. Beale has written several books, including a book on God's presence entitled God Dwells Among Us. He's also written commentaries on the book of Revelation and an entire New Testament Biblical Theology In this interview, we discuss the topic of worship and idolatry. It is such a privilege to uh, welcome to our conference Dr. Gregory Beale. He is professor of New Testament and Biblical Theology at the Reformed Theological Seminary in Dallas, Texas. Before that, he served at Uh, Westminster Theological Seminary and Wheaton College and even Gordon-Conwell before that. Uh, He's written several books that are known and loved by us all. This enormous book, the New Testament, um, Biblical Theology, the Unfolding of the Old Testament in the New, um, a book that I often use called the Commentary of on the New Testament, Use of the Old Testament that he edited. And I believe um, Colossians and Revelation are your particular contributions in here. Uh, And then also some commentaries on Revelation, uh, a a longer one that I have not gotten all the way through, I I will admit. But I have worked through the shorter version of the Revelation commentary and have just been very helped by it. However, I think two books in particular um, are going to be so helpful to the people who attend our conference um, and I'd like to just, Dr. Beal, thank you so much for some of your time. And I'd, I'd love to just ask you a couple of questions about what inspired you to write some of these things. Sure, sure. sure. Well, this first book is entitled, We Become What We Worship, A Biblical Theology of Idolatry. And um, it was so helpful. I, I was just even in preparing for this, looking through my copy of it and seeing um, uh, underlines and check marks and quotes and things in the margin here from January of 2013 when I oh, went through it so carefully. Um, uh, what? Uh, why did you write this book and what sort of audience or concern did you have in mind as you wrote it? Yes. Um, well, that that book actually had its origin in a uh, chapel sermon that I preached at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. Um, Oh, goodness, I I don't know if it was late 80s or mid-90s, but um, it was um, a sermon on Isaiah 6 uh, in in verses 9 through 13. And um, uh, what I found there was that Isaiah tells the people uh, that they are people who have eyes that can't see and ears that can't hear. And, uh, and so, so 
as I continued to study that, that that was language very similar to Psalm 115 and 135, which says um, uh, the gods of the nations uh, are gold and silver. They have eyes but can't see and ears but can't hear, a tongue but cannot speak. Um, and, uh, and it says those who make them will become like them, even those who worship them. And so I began to see that what Isaiah was talking about when he says the people had eyes but couldn't see and ears but couldn't hear, that, that God was actually punishing them for their prior idol worship. And the way he was punishing them by, was by saying, you love idols, I'm going to make you more like those idols. Mm. And so the idea is that the, um, what you revere, you resemble, either for ruin or restoration. Isaiah, in chapter 6, revered God. And so he was declared holy, as God is holy. He resembled God. But the people did not revere God. They revered their idols. And so they became like their idols, uh, figuratively uh, being said to have eyes but couldn't see, ears but couldn't hear. Of course, it didn't mean they became like statues that uh, didn't have eyes and ears. But what it meant is they became as spiritually lifeless as that which they worshipped. And that's the principle that carries over. If you worship money, if you worship your books, whatever it may be, uh, these are inanimate. They're separate from the spirit of God. And so if you're more committed to that than to God, then you will revere. Uh, you will become what you revere. You will become as spiritually lifeless as that part of the world you're committed to, whatever that may be. And that's the principle today. So what you revere, what you're committed to, what you revere, you resemble. And if it's some part of this creation apart from God, it'll be for ruin. But if it's God, we'll become like him and his mm. son uh, and, and will increasingly be restored. So, so that it was that Isaiah 6 passage that got me going then to really, I then published an article uh, in, in a journal called uh, Vedas Testamentum on Isaiah 6. And then, uh, and then the book grew from there. Somebody from university came down to my study one time in Wheaton and said, you got anything you want to write? And I said, you know, I, I might want to write a, a book on this whole theme and widen it. So that's the origin. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. I mean, you've touched on this a little bit in that answer, but are there applications or implications from that study of idolatry that you would want a minister in a local church to be particularly aware of? Or Yeah, well, you're right. I did uh, touch on it. I think that um, when we preach, we, we, we need to be aware uh of our commitments, because uh, we can be partial idolaters and of our people's commitments. And we, we need to um, uh, be aware and, and tell them, generally speaking, part of sanctification, if you're a true believer, part of sanctification is becoming less of an idolater than we were. Now, of course, if we become Christians, uh, we have left the old world and become part of the new. Uh, in the already and not yet, we become part of the new creation, but we have not been consummated nor perfected. And so there will always be times in which we're drawn to the old world. And those times are commitments to the world, which are uh, idolatries. And uh, I think part of sanctification is uh, leaving the idolatrous baggage of the old world behind and increasingly setting our face to the new world. So that's a general principle. Um, yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. And, and I love the, 
even though the book has a lot of, of descriptions of the dangers of idolatry, it also is shot through with hope that um, by revering the true and living God, yes, um, ears can be opened and uh, God has ears that hear. God has a mouth that speaks. He has hands that move and, and feet that walk. Uh, I, I found it uh, both a stern warning and um, filled with hope as well. Yeah, that's right. If we're true believers, then um, uh, we'll increasingly become conformed to the image of Christ, as, as Romans 8 says. And, and actually, that's developed in Romans 12, um, 2, where it says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed, I think, through Scripture, God's living word, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, i.e. in Scripture, uh, so that you may prove what is complete and, and, and acceptable and, and good, pleasing. Oh, yeah. Amen. And so, so, you know, there's that uh, once we trust in Christ that he died and rose again for us, then uh, and we commit ourselves to him, we revere him, then uh, we, we begin to become like his image, as Adam should have. Um, um, ironically, you know, remember Genesis 3, uh, God sends Adam out of the garden, and he says the reason was he's become like us. And, uh, well, the point is he didn't become God, but he tried to, and basically set himself up as the standard for what's right and wrong. And uh, by, by doing so, uh, basically, uh, he was worshiping himself. He was, he, he was committed to himself and nothing else, and not to God. So self-worship is a big form of idolatry in the modern world where everything revolves around us and including God. And uh, when that happens, we're, we're committing self-idolatry. And when that happens, we blow our, big, our ego up bigger and bigger. We become more and more like ourselves. And that ego gets bigger and bigger, like a balloon, and it, it, it's empty. God will pop it at some point. Well, uh, that makes a, a really good transition, the discussion of Adam and the garden to this other book that I really think that um, worship leaders should know about, which is it's called The Temple and the Church's Mission, A Biblical Theology of the Dwelling Place of God. And um, I know this has been an important theme for you. It was the topic of your 2004 ETS presidential address. That's and true. You, you turned it into a shorter, more accessible book called God Dwells Among Us, which yes. I have a copy of, but my 18-year-old son is reading it right now. Really? Right. That's right. He has it assigned for one of his classes at Boyce College. I'll just oh my gosh. That That's yep. neat. He's he's really enjoying it. It's it's well, it's very well done. But what what interest of yours um, motivated you to write this and the other things that um, are affiliated with it? Oh goodness, goodness, goodness. Yes. Um, Ah, trying to remember what motivated me. The the, the one on um, idolatry was an easy one to remember. Sure. Uh, that one I have to go back to about two thousand and two or three. So um, uh, yeah, I, I think that um, um, I, I began to uh, get a notion. Uh, 
focusing on Genesis 1 to 3. And I don't remember how the idea came to me, but the idea was that Adam, uh, I began to see that, that he was a priest in a sanctuary, that Eden was a sanctuary. And, I, and, and the reason I began to see that was because I began to compare the later temple with Eden, and you begin to see all kinds of things from the later temple that symbolize things from Eden, like the 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 floral decoration on the outer pillars. Um, the uh, uh, also likewise the inside uh, decoration had um, uh, um, birds and uh, flowery, uh, designs, uh, in, in, in wood. And so, um, why is that? Well, I, I decided that that was, that was a reflection of Eden. And, um, and it was, uh, the, the temple was tripartite. The Holy of Holies, Holy Place in the outer courtyard. Well, Eden also had the living waters where God dwelt. Then the garden where Adam dwelt, and then the outer uninhabitable area, it was tripartite. So there were a number of, of similarities. And so um, from there, I said, well, you know, Adam failed uh, to be a faithful priest. And uh, his original mission should have been to spread the presence of God in the temple, and hence to spread the temple to the ends of the earth. Um as Genesis 1.28 says, was his task as a king and ultimately a priest to fill the earth, to fill the earth with image bearers reflecting the image of God. He didn't do that. Uh, in fact, not only did he not do that, he's cast out of the temple, uh, out of Eden. And so then you begin to get the hope for uh, a new priest, mm-hmm. a new king. And you begin to begin to see the, the patriarchs building little little temples. And they all point to the Big temple in um, uh, at, at Sinai. By the way, Sinai was a mountain temple, and then the the, the sanctuary, uh, the tabernacle, was based on that. All of that then pointed to the big temple in Jerusalem, and um, <clears throat> and to the coming of a priest there. But Israel keeps failing. They keep failing. They keep failing as priestly figures, and their temples keep getting torn down. And so finally. Uh, the king priest, Jesus Christ, comes as the last Adam. He sets himself up as the temple, and then we're the temple in him. That's a summary of the book. <laughs> that is, I, I, I will say, um, uh, that's it. That's, we should have had a little spoiler alert before you summarized it that well, but I, I just have to commend um, to my, my worship leader friends here the careful attention to smaller passages of Scripture the the uh, noticing I, I think several of us would have sort of a, a a general sense of that but the amount of detail that you do and the the spade work that you do through passages and through um um through the book of acts through uh, the the writings of paul through hebrews and, and these are full length chapters on these themes has just just um made that the the intuition I had about some of those things just more and more certain and just um, um, filled me with faith and encouragement about uh, the invincibility of when Jesus says, I will build my church. Amen. Um, he has he has something pretty uh, cosmic in mind 
the um, and and this is the thing. So I I yeah I would commend you 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 didn't ruin the book with that little um, with that. Well, little that is piece. practically speaking, that's our task as being priests in the temple to spread the presence of God. Yeah, as the first Adam should have done, and as Jesus began to do. I have to say, it is the most fun book that I've written. The most fun in in what way? In the sense that every time I worked on a part of it, I made discoveries. Oh. Uh, it was just, uh, it was, and my wife has an office next to mine, and she'd sometimes hear me go, "Oh my gosh!" in a very, very loud voice, and she said, "What's?" Cause she'd come out of her office. What's going on? Is oh my gosh! Listen to this. <laughs> yes, I, I I had similar experience reading it. Um, so. Um, this, that makes a good spot for us to conclude our interview. Thank you, Dr. Beal, so much for your time, for your service to the church in writing, for your service to worship leaders. We uh, uh, thank you and uh, just uh, wish you nothing but greater fruitfulness down in Dallas uh, for um, um, more ministry and, and more writing for uh, Christ and his kingdom. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. I'm uh, looking forward to going to Reform Seminary in Dallas. Uh, Right now, I'm actually still a faculty member at Westminster, but I make that transfer uh, on June 1. So thank you. Yeah, you're very welcome. Okay. That's great. We, we tell people you don't have to go to Southern Seminary to be saved. <laughs> but, but why risk it? That is a hard place to stop, but if you'd like to hear more, go to our website, biblicalworship.com. Click podcast. We're happy to share with you the entire thing for free. While you're at our website, you can find information concerning other worship resources from the Institute for Biblical Worship and the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. That's biblicalworship.com. That's what we have for you this time on the Doxology and Theology podcast. Our show is produced by the lanky Evan Jarms, engineered by Caleb Sherwood, and the music is by our good friend Joel Nagus. Until next time, this is Dr. Matthew Westerholm reminding you that the gospel is so good, it has to be sung. Peace be with you.